0: everybody you know take me back to church that's wonderful you've been away from church but i don't know if you've been watching any of the stats or any of the trends in america taking people back to church doesn't much apply to people who've never been to church number one thing that i've been studying and looking at is is a lot of people they they got their issues with church and the young people and what, it, it is what it is we have to understand and become what it what it means to Jesus Christ to go after the one. I want to talk to you about uh, that today. I want to talk to you about what 2020 is go- going to hopefully bring with the Lord's blessing. And honestly, you know, your help. Because this church is run by gifts. Spiritual gifts. Each and every one of us. And when you think about this song, you think about the words, think about the people who've never entered church. And they're not. you don't have to take them back to church need to take them to church the first time. But just so you know, a little insight. People today, young people today, people who are, they're spiritually searching. The best avenue for them is not church at first. It's one-on-one talking about your faith. You know, um, the church can never keep up with Hollywood. We can never keep up with technology. We can never keep up. We always seem to be behind. That doesn't much bother me. But one thing the church has to offer that the world and Hollywood can never, ever compare to is fellowship. It's what was spoken about in there. It really is the thing that a lot of millennials and young people, and it's what they're looking for. It's the one thing that we offer is that fellowship of caring for each other. Fellowship. It's the one thing that we can do better. It's like Vivian Clark, you know, she had shoulder surgery. John, thanks for calling me, letting me know what's going on. You, some of you guys are preparing meals, different things like that. It's caring and loving for it. other. That's so why I constantly say, folks, don't just run out of church. Just get an opportunity to stay and to have a little bit of time. You never know who needs you. Or the fact is, is that you might need them. Jesus, as we prepare our hearts today to hear from you, as we prepare our hearts to say, what is it that will help uh, Lifeline Church be the church that you want us to be? We have thoughts, we have directions, we, you know, but ultimately what it is that we're looking for is you. May you come and be amongst us today. Will you help me to say what it is you want me to say and drop whatever it is I don't need to say today? May you give us the leading of your spirit. May you give us vision to be able to see, you know, uh, people coming to know who you are and us not being afraid to step aside so that you can go after the one, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One announcement before I get going today, I want to invite each and every one of you on Sunday, the 19th at 5 o'clock, we have an informational meeting. If you've been here, you know what that's about. If you're not, come on out. It'll take maybe a half hour, whatever it is. The board will be here. Um, We're going to answer any questions. We're going to go over budget and several other different things. Uh, It's the 19th at 5 o'clock. As you leave here today, one or two ushers will hand you a little agenda packet it's blue. Take it with you. Take a look at it. See if you have any questions. Our finances are, are on there and everything like that. We're going to have a meal afterwards that Bonnie's putting together. You still need some people to sign up to help bring something. So would you please possibly sign up to bring something? So we'll, we'll have a meeting for a half an hour, do all the boring stuff, and then we'll have a time of fellowship. Fellowship. All right, I have, I have really good news for each and every one of you here today. Uh, I have discovered and found, and I'm offering to each and every one of you today a cellular plan. Forget Verizon. Forget Sprint. Forget anybody else. I have a plan for you: five dollars a line per phone, five bucks a line per phone. Everyone here can get in on it. it, it it's it's for everybody. You get all the texting, all the uh, uh, data, and everything that you want. There's only just one little catch. You know, it it, it doesn't have four G. Matter of fact, it doesn't have three G. It uses analog. Well, all of you here today, open your flip phones and find out what our sermon notes are today. It's on a flip phone. It's analog, and it's only five dollars. Yeah, that's funny. We've gone so far beyond it that it's almost hilarious. You know, I asked my wife, "Can you go find me a flip phone downstairs?" And she's like, "Man, I don't." Have to go in the century and archives, but she doesn't throw much out, so we had one. <laughs> How many of you turn your phones? in? You know, my father still uses a flip phone. My father—I'm sure some of you do. Some you of know, you dinosaurs out there still do. You know, you know—I don't want to—I don't want to mention names. Why is it so much that we love the latest technology? And, I, you know, and to a certain point, I don't really want to say, you know, why is it we like technology? Why do we like to stay up to date? You know? Why is it we like to take pictures on our phone and go to the Internet and all the other different things that happen in technology and different things that just seem so practical, and yet the church gets to the place where, let's do things about 20 or 30 years old. Let's just kind of stay right there where it's all at. You know, and I know that that's not everybody, but we're in a culture war, everybody. and the culture war is in the church. whatever it is out there i I care. But, but I care about the culture war that the church has to fight. I want to talk to you today about the culture war. I want to talk to you today about winning the culture war. I'm talking to you today about strategy because the church in your notes is losing the culture war. You can pull out your smartphone if you have one, go online, or use this archaic method of uh, scroll paper. All right? <laughs> Today, the church is declining in attendance big time. I, I've looked at Pew Research, I've looked at uh, Barna. I t- typically like Barna because he comes from an evangelical Christian perspective. You know, if you're not a Christian, you're here, you're visiting today, you're going to find out a lot of what we care about is you. That's what we have to constantly fight against, making it against us, but making it about who you are today, you know. Today, uh, when people ask, are asked, you know, their affiliation with a church, you know, you go to a dentist, you go to a doctor, whatever, you're getting ready to sign up for surgery, you know, it's just like, you know, who, who do you check most, who are you most affiliated with? You know the little box that says none, N-O-N-U-S, not none but nuns? It's growing to the place and I've looked at several different stats, you know, about ten percent of America, give or take, depending on which stat you look at, is saying we affiliate with no church. None. the the percentage of evangelical Christians or people that would call themselves Christians, let me drop the evangelicals, just affiliate with Christianity is about 43 to 46 percent now. Now folks, when I started ministry about 27 years ago, that was about 70 to 75% is what's happening in America. We're losing the culture war. Folks, look around. If you were in your 20s, would you invite your 20-year-old friends to come to this church? Just saying. Get outside ourselves. All us old folks need to move aside, get prepped, and get out of our way. We want to raise up a generation of young people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and can take our place, but we have to have a plan for that. I want to talk to you about reaching people, winning the lost, growing this church spiritually, numerically, in every which way. Because I want to talk to you today about that's one of the whole reasons that Jesus came. Are we willing to implement a strategy to win the culture war? Are we just going to continue to use our flip phone? 5G is on its way, and I bet you're all hungry to get it. Are you hungry to see the lost come to Christ, no matter who they might be? In Matthew, the 16th chapter, it was actually woven into one of the songs, Candy, so awesomely picked today. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he asked the question, who are people saying that I am? Because that's a really important thing. It's an important question, and it's important, and he was wondering if they had gotten it. You know, this is about halfway through his earthly ministry, and they said all kinds of different things. In verse 15, then he, Jesus, asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And the person who always spoke up and was right sometimes and stuck his foot in his mouth sometimes. I kind of have practiced that same thing. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Now, folks, I don't know if you know how big of a deal that was because everybody was waiting for the Messiah. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And I want to say to you today, if you know Jesus Christ, it's probably because the seedbed of prayer and that the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. Yeah, you got an intellect, you got a mind, but there's all kinds of very smart people that say, mm, I, don't, I don't know if I believe in that. Same thing that happened in Peter's, like, tap in ours, and he says, no, nah, I I say to you that you are Peter, the word for Petros, little rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And there's this debate as to uh, did Jesus say he was going to build his church on Peter because his name means little rock. Folks, the word rock all throughout Scripture, all throughout the, the, the Psalms, meant God. Why would it change that? And why would Jesus Christ... When Jesus makes the statement, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, why would that not be the rock that you'd build a church on? And it's just common sense. You don't build a church on a human being, especially somebody who's going to be, betray you pretty soon. So the rock is Jesus Christ, and he says in verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer. You know what that says to me? It says Jesus is all in. The powers of hell. I'll do my part. The powers of hell will not prevail. I'll do my part. But doesn't it seem like hell's winning? I would say, yeah, because sometimes we just don't want to fight the culture war. It comes at a cost to each and every one of us today. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forgiven in heaven. Uh, forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, folks, Jesus comes along, and as he leaves uh, here and in several different places, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you disciples and you Christians authority. You know what I teach, and so whatever you say goes, compared to Scripture goes. Whatever you say doesn't, doesn't. Comparing it to Scripture. And so Jesus said, I'm all in. The gates of hell, they're not going to prevail. I need you to be all in. Pick it up. You guys get all in. And then verse 20, he says something to them that was a timely thing. He says he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. He starts out by saying, who am I? Then he says, don't tell nobody. Because he wanted people to come to him hearing and seeing and understanding perceived scriptural teachings, that what he was doing, he was the Messiah. Now, folks, just so you know, that's been lifted. We're to go and be his witnesses. Sometimes we think we're supposed to go and be his judges. No, no. We're to go and be his witnesses. We lead people to Christ just one little step At a time. And sometimes that's a little frustrating to us. A couple things in your notes. I want you to understand the battle. All right? So number one is just starting a new church. I want to take you back uh, 2012. You know, if you needed an electrician to come to your house and you were doing some electrical things and maybe you're putting a generator and whatever it is, would you hire somebody who had been an electrical apprentice for like a month? No, you would hire somebody that had done it, had been successful, and only burned down a few homes. So I want to say to you that I have been privileged and blessed enough to be a part of a group of people, Pastor Dale and other people, that have restarted about or planted 15 to 18 churches. I don't know a whole lot. I just kind of hang on and learn from those who do. I've been a part of that, and uh, there was a, a church group of people who started Lifehouse Church that came here, we prayed, sat in front of this place and said, Lord, do you want to start a church here? Do you want us to do two churches, you know, grow them, get to the place where we go from one to the other, simulcast, whatever it might be, continually seeking the Lord. And one of the things that happens when you come into a church that had moved on and is sitting here like this is uh, several different things. Uh, Let me just talk to you first about, you refurb it. You know, you you get to the place, you come inside, you update it. Uh, I'll show you in just a couple seconds some pictures. Uh, This place had a big altar here, a big marble altar, Uh, which wouldn't have left enough room for about three people on a worship team, and I'd probably have to stand on the altar. I mean, it was like six by ten or something like that. It took an army to get it out of here. It isn't that we were against it or whatever. It's just we wanted to be able to do something that would help people see and understand a a stage that people could be led into Christ. Uh, There was hard pews in here. I'll show you in just a minute, you know. There was hard pews in here, and we understand that, you know, suffering for Jesus means sitting on something like that. But we thought to ourselves, let's upgrade and let's update. Let's refurb. Let's get this to the place, and this is a group of people who have done this before. I happen to be able to hang on and and enjoy the ride. Saying, you know, people want to sit on something comfortable. People want to do some different things. You know, we had somebody come in here that uh, was, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call an electrical engineer, John. The, I forget the guy, and I forget his name. It doesn't much matter. But what's his name? Ralph Dolan, Ralph Dolan you know. He spent about $60,000 upgrading here. Let me take that back he put in about $60,000 worth of labor and equipment. This place has about 10 electrical boxes. It's crazy. You try to turn something on here or there or whatever. whatever, they, they still flash a little bit. He gave it all as a Christian to start this church. To get this church up to the place that now you folks don't even know or think about it. Paint and a lot of other different things. The second thing we took a look at is just, okay, so so it all looks what would attract people or what would keep people away? Now, folks, the, the church that was here before suffered through the summers. Now how many of you here have air conditioning in your car? How many of you would buy a car that didn't have air conditioning? How many of you, when it breaks, you you want this this place had no air conditioning. They put the money in. They put the effort in. They put this re- what would it take so that we could have air conditioning? Now, how, what in the world does that matter? All kinds of people in Africa suffer through and, and pack places out, but we're not in Africa. The missionaries we're trying to reach are Americans who like air conditioning. And we install that and pay for that up front. You don't even think about it, but that's okay. We don't want you to think about it. We don't want any distractions for you to know and understand the people that we're trying to reach. Uh, The third thing there is, you know, you you start with a a low budget, you know, you start with a low budget, you do a lot of things to see if the church will succeed. The biggest question is, after three months, will this church be going anywhere? Last stat I heard was 70, about 70% of every new church fails. And the Southern Baptists plan that. They plant enough so that they get enough to succeed. About 70% of, of all churches fail. Will this church make it past three months, you know? And so let me give you a couple different pictures. Uh, David, if you could put that first one up there. This is the pews uh, that we're here and used to be sat on. They're nice and that beautiful thing, but you can thank your tushy today that uh, what you're sitting on, all right? So that's what was here. Next one for me there. Here is the pulpit that was here. You know, here's the pulpit that was here. I, I said to myself, there's no way I could stand behind that and feel humble. I would feel like the... We just had decided in our hearts and minds, it's like, well, it, that was. I, I want to just be careful. I, I, I know the people who are here for wonderful, great people. But, you know, look, let's go to the next one so you can see something. Take a look at that, but look behind it. You can see the altar up there in the corner? This is what the whole front looked like. This is the kneelers that were down there. You could kneel for about seven seconds until you felt, man, I am suffering for Jesus. So thank you, Bill, for the... the uh, the the kneelers that we have today all kinds of different things carpeting and blending and different things like that and then go to the next one then and this is our first service there's marie right there How about that joe and candace are on the wrong side and you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you You thank you you hit those lights back up there for me just a little blast from the past there are people who are satisfied using their flip phones and that's fine And there are people that are just satisfied. Let's just make sure we have church ourselves, and let's not. We don't want to spend any money to make sure anybody on the outside comes to know Christ. You know, let's be spiritual about this. If they love Jesus, they'll come in here and they'll sweat all through the ninety-degree summers. They'll sit, and the bones of their butt will be bloodied by the time they leave on the pew. And we laugh, and I'm talking about some fun things here, but I'm telling you, we are in a culture war. Because what we're all used to right here, we can't stay here. We cannot stay here. Starting a new church is uh, is like a, a getting a place to where the kingdom of God can grow, at least in this facility, to 100. About 100 people. You know, there's things and practical things that you take a look at, you know and so uh, that leads me to the second thing i want to say to you the second point then is is ministering to a church of 100 people i want you to know what i know many of you know this i want you to know what's happening in the missionary world of america of america not somewhere else, I know Americans, Uh, sometimes we don't like it, we we just wish they'd spiritual up a little bit, you know, one of the things I know is that God is among us, Uh, people that have been coming to church, people that have been giving their lives to uh, Christ, people whose lives were changed, a family came up with me this morning with their kids and said can we pray together and we had a word of prayer together where a couple years ago they were wandering lost in the world, you know, and that's where some of you uh, were, you know, Uh, So let me give you a snapshot of what Lifeline looks like right now. So for those of you who are new or those of you who have been here, access. One of the things I want to talk to you about is access, you know. In a church of about 100, pretty much everybody has access to everything and everybody, you know. Uh, Bonnie's kitchen back there. There's no locks on those no doors on it, you know. And people go in and people go out and kids. Everybody has access to that. The Hebrew Cafe. It's only been recently that we had to come up with a policy that people sign because of just the crazy world that we're in. If somebody's going to use it, there was really no wide church-wide calendar. But now we got a church calendar. Access to everything and everybody. The building. Go outside and use anything you want outside. Come here, this, that, the other, uh, and then access to the pastor. You know, my access to everything one of you your access to everyone you know to me you know a church with one pastor can grow to about a hundred but if everybody continues to need direct access to the pastor that could be a bottleneck and there are pastors we have to be careful that we don't say you know everything revolves around me that is not biblical in any way shape or form open your Bibles to Ephesians the uh, fourth chapter 11 and 12 God gave the church, the people to do the ministry of the church. What revs my motor, I have a 350 in my boat that I want you 350, crank it up, 5,000 RPMs or whatever, is to see people go through the connection ministry. Find their gifts. Get plugged in. Just find out, man, if you know your spiritual gift, then you know you're special. And that song says, you know, before I knew a word, you, you were a singer, you knew me. And he knew exactly the gifts he would give you so that you could be a part of his kingdom and a part of everything that he does. Access, access. The second thing is facilities, you know. The facilities, the number of seats that we have, the number of classrooms we have. For kids, where's the bottleneck? Where, where, where is it? How much can we do and what can we say? I mean, I know how many seats are in here Constantly. And one of the things that I do know about Americans, we'll talk about it, is is Americans as missionaries, uh, they will come and sit in a seat until you get about 80% full. Americans. Because once it gets about 80% full, people don't want to sit real close to somebody. It's just Americans. We, we like our space. You know. Do you know how hard it is to get Christians to sit in front and in the middle so that the ends and the back can be there for people who come? You know how hard it is? Everybody wants to come and sit in their own. And it's just this mindset that needs to change and help us to see and understand. Ministering through 100 people, you know, we have enough parking spaces? We have 87 parking spaces. And why do I know that? Because when they start to get filled, people will pull in and pull right back out. Why am I trying to get all of us that we can to park on the gravel? Two rows on the gravel. Why do we need, so very importantly, one or two people to step up and say, we'll do, we'll do parking ministry so I, you can help remind people where to park? Somebody was here on Christmas Eve. They said, why were all the cars parked there and all of these open over here? And I said to them, that's so that visitors like you can park close. We want all our people to park far away and walk. And they're like, that is a really good idea. But that idea then has to transform from the fact that you get to park close for a while, and then you move farther away. And like me, get a few extra steps that you need in your walk. You know, Wear your Fitbits and get a few extra steps, everybody, right? We really don't have the classroom space for adult classes, but we need them. We don't have space for teen ministry, but... We are going to work super hard on getting a teen ministry up and running this year. We wanted to work with our children's ministry and see where that was at. And then comes ministries, access, facilities. You've got to look at ministries. And the number one ministries that happen in a church like this is you pour your heart, your soul, and your mind into Sunday morning service. You've got to have good music, good preaching, good fellowship, you know, a, a good sense of, of the presence of the Lord. You have to have good children's ministry. We brought it up about 90%. We, we need to up it just a little bit more. We, have, we still need a few teachers, but it's going really well. Thank you for that. We have a couple other ministries that we do, recovery ministry and that. But that's really about all there is in, in about a church of 100. And every one of those needs to grow and expand uh, if we want to do something else, right? Uh, there's a lot of excitement. People are giving their lives to Christ. All of us know each other. That's nice, a that 100, you know? Very few rules, very few restrictions with the facility inside and out, and that is why 61% of Protestant churches in America average, 61% of Protestant churches in America average 89 people. 61%. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail. He's doing his part. There's a culture war that changes ongoingly all the time, season after season, generation after generation, that we have to be acknowledging and learning what to do to fight that. Three out of five pastors say their church has declined. And what it takes to minister to 100 people will never work to reach 200 people. Two things, everybody. Seven deadly words in a church. We have always done it this way. It's going to have to change. The second thing I would say to you is something John Reiser taught me. Some of you know John Reiser. He used to be my boss and uh, evangelical friend. He said there's this gravitational pull of us. I have it, you have it, every one of us. There's this gravitational pull that says, let me make sure the budget makes me happy. Let me make sure what happens on Sunday makes me happy. Let me make sure I get a chance to talk to my friends. It's too difficult to approach somebody who's new I haven't seen. Let me talk to my friends. The gravitational pull is to take care of ourselves, and we need to push at it with our hands and our feet, for the joy that's set before us, like Christ, to getting to the place where we start seeing new people come to know Christ. So let me just give you a little uh, uh, number three: uh, ministering to. What, what does it look like to get ready to minister to you know uh, uh, two hundred people? And one of the things that you know helped us, several different things, uh, is I remember us taking a look at: Do we want to put an LED sign out front? You know, it's like, oh my gosh! You know, some people say, Why would you spend money on that? And I think there was a few people that probably left because of that. But I really appreciate people that are here that know what it takes. I remember Bill Kanda being one of the champions for it. You know, he's not a young pup anymore, but he cares about reaching people for Christ. It wasn't about him. Was about to, and look at look how many people are following our lead. LED signs all over the churches. I should get I should get a fee, you know, a bill and I should get a fee on something like that. <laughs> we want to be on the cutting edge of what it is for the next and, and facility wise. Folks, I, I I'm I'm really thinking that you know this is kind when you start a new church, you start low end, but we got we spend as little as possible to do everything. I would really like to think about those who are coming in. I would like to put two big screen TVs up here. Not, not these things. Why? So I can be the lady? No, because your friends who you bring in here, those who are used to good technology and things, say, man, that place is archaic. We already have a facility that's old, and we can make it new. We can make it appear and smell and look new, ministering to 200 people. Folks, if you, if you any of you ever shop when Collins Buy was open over there? You'd walk in and you'd see the owner. He'd be running the cashier, uh, or he'd be stocking shelves, or he'd be up in the office, off to the side, wherever. You could talk to the owner, no problem. When's the last time you were in where, Lord, giant eagle, Laurie, when's the last time you went in there and you got a chance to talk to the owner? When's the last time you got a chance to see the owner stocking shelves? When's the last time you got a chance to say, you know, he was working the cash register? I don't even know who it is. it's a he, I, Maybe it's a she. This is what begins to happen in the minds. And I understand, I have no problems with Collins, mom and pop, or big store, but I want you to understand, we're not selling meat and produce. We are offering the gospel. We must be at a place where we understand what it takes to grow and to put systems in place to reach people for Christ. A. The word access that I was talking about before there, you know, uh, it becomes limited. And that's where it begins to hurt a little bit. You have a limited access. You know, Bonnie is pining for the day when we lock and put doors on the kitchen. <laughs> because people go in and use the kitchen. Their kids are in and out of there. You know, she tries to straighten something up and it's a mess. You get to 100, 150, 100, you And it's all kinds of, it can't happen. And the people say, this isn't the church that it used to be. I'm just telling you the practical realities of it all. Is it fair to her that people go in and use stuff and leave it for her to wash and clean up constantly and ongoingly? Access, access to facilities. Like I said, the Hebrew cafe, you know, the facilities inside and out. We have to have something now that you have to sign if you're going to use the Hebrew cafe. I'm sorry, but that's just the policy in the way of the world. We have to protect ourselves. Legally, we have to protect ourselves. We have a security uh, set up and a group of people that are stepping up and helping that type of thing. And, you know, it's just the way of the world. It is what it is. We have to constantly be thinking and looking forward. Folks, you know, uh, we definitely have a political stance here. There's no doubt about it. We're conservative, whatever that means. But what will we do to reach the liberals? Are we willing to set aside our shirts and our hats and our thinking and our talking? I'm going to talk about conservatism because I want our people to be informed. But when will it get in the way of us having fun about this, that, or the other? And somebody walking in saying, I'm never going back there. They made a decision before they ever got inside. I heard a thing. This is what we have to think about. How about access to the pastor? How's it gonna be when access to the pastor or my access to every one of you starts to get limited? Because I can only do so much. You know, I can only do so much. And a lot of times right here is the bottleneck in the church. I know this, I'm teaching this, it's just that you don't have access to everybody. You don't have access to me. So what I have to do is I have to put in place some of you who are wonderfully gifted to be able to care for groups of people, to be able to shepherd a group of people. Now, if there's some big thing, yeah, I can go to the pastor, that other thing, but are you guys all going to be okay with that? Am I going to be okay with that? It's just like, uh, because my, my tendency is to, to try to meet that need or whatever it is rather than saying, you know, see your Bible study group or your area shepherd or whatever it might be. I must make sure that the cares of the, uh, the needs of this church is cared for, and I need you to help me ministering to 200 people uh, gets to the place where you look at your facilities. You know, what's keeping lifeline from ministering to 200 people? Well, you saw that. You know. I thank the Lord for every one of you who are dedicated to our four-year space. We were running about 70, 72. You know, four-year space really got us to about 90, 95, maybe even 100. The ability to have... You know, I've seen a, a, a large man... By that I mean muscular, we'll just put it that way. I've seen a guy try to get in the 28-inch door for the bathroom and never come back. You all right out there? Bathrooms. Number one question people ask, you think bathrooms, you know? Uh, We need it foyer space for the number one thing Christians are good at and should be good at is fellowship. Guys, do you remember when it was busted off right over there? We're all starting to stand in that... Little hallway over there. Thank you for you who are visionaries, who are a part of that and said, you know what? This is going to help us reach more people for Christ. Ministering to 200 people, you know, uh, facilities, you know, if we wanted to stay at around 70 people, we would not even bother with that. But from the perspective of a potential visitor, it's one of the things that they. See when they first come in. Now, folks, we need to get ready to change some things this year. You know, we want the color scheme to go all the way throughout, and we want to look at inside and outside. And we want this place to look as nice as any place. your home. Well, I haven't seen all your homes, but I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> and then we got ministries that we want to think about, right? Ministries, you know, uh, 200 people. Let's just break it down this way, everybody. 150 people that are 20s, 30s, all the way adults. 25 children, 25 teenagers. What do we need? What do we need? What kind of space do we need? Probably need to go to two services because two services is great stewardship. Oh, then I won't know everybody in my church. You'll know them in heaven. (laughs) And it'll give you an opportunity to serve at one service and it'll give you an opportunity to come into church at the other one and vice versa. Oh no, I'm not coming to church three hours on Sunday morning. Alright, we'll just let the lost go to hell then. Just let them go. Why, why would I suffer? Why would I why, why to take three hours of my time? Sorry. We need to reach 200 people and we need to understand and know what it is. We have to get it in place now. You must find a way for everyone to be cared for. Uh, we need to build leadership into this church. We need to build leadership into young people. Hey, if you uh, all want to be a leader, go out and buy the book 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. I'll check next week and see how many of you went and bought that and then I'll know. Listen to this quote. When I talk to managers, I, f- I get the feeling that they're important. When I talk to leaders, I get the uh, feeling that I'm important. This lets you know if you're a leader. You you care about other people. It isn't about you. It isn't about me. Leaders think about others first. In the church, that is, not in, in the secular world. In the church, that's what it's all about. And so I heard a quote that said, if serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. If serving is below you, Leadership is way beyond you. I can see Lifeline Church ministering to 200 people, and there's some things we'll need to do facility-wise and several other different things, and I just want you to know that this is what we want to do. We, we want to fulfill the words of Jesus when he said, uh, the, the, my church is going to succeed. Hell is not going to succeed. Jesus is all in. We have to ask ourselves, are we all in? Can you see people you know worshiping Jesus right next to you? One funny thing is, is if you come to church for a long, long time and never bring anybody that isn't a Christian, you kind of just settle in. You hear the pastor, this, that, the other. But when you bring somebody who doesn't know Christ, the first thing you're thinking is, "Hmm, I hope the music's good. Gee, I hope Pastor Evan doesn't say anything about wearing a Speedo (laughs) (laughs) or anything like that. And I hope he doesn't say anything stupid. That's what I meant to say, you know, because I had people leave because we made some Whatever. Life is what it is, right? The train, gets, it's moving on lots of times. And you're welcome to get on. We want you on. The train is leaving. The station is moving on. LifeHouse is here because of people who gave thousands of dollars before you gave one. Many people, several, I shouldn't say many, a group of people came from LifeHouse to come here to help start this church. The the denomination gave thousands of dollars. Folks, do you remember what our children's ministry used to look like? We refurbed it. Some of you don't even know. We made the classrooms and everything. It was just open space and stuff. Why is the carpeting uh, marked the way it is in the Hebrew cafe? Because of Awana. We paid to put it in so Awana kids could be here. 97% of children who go through Awana, 97% go through the whole thing in their 20s are still in church. Now that is hard to beat. Because we are failing at keeping the 20-year-old somethings in the church. So I have in your notes, overcoming the power of hell. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. But it just seems like he's certainly not losing the war. It just seems like we may be. So uh, why is it that most churches never reach 200 in attendance? Well, folks, it's not desire. I doubt there's a person here today that says, you know, I don't want to reach anybody else. I'm fine just sitting here just the way it is. It's not desire. It's not lack of prayer. Many great churches, small, large, whatever, they have great intercessory prayer. People here having prayers answered all the time. It's not a matter of love. There's a lot of love here. There's a lot of love in small churches. It's not a lack of spirituality. Christians who want uh, the lost to come to Christ, we do. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a cultural thing it is a war with a strategy that is to be understood presented to the congregation and won that's what i intended to do today and several times throughout the year i was blessed to give my life to christ to find christ in a church that at the time was running about 700 grew had put a building program on grew to 1000 uh, i had tremendous bible study knowledge before i went to bible college at age 30 because of this church it grew to 16 I was fortunate enough to be with some of you. We built a church and, with the Lord's blessing to about six, 700 people. And we did it together. We know what it took. And some of you were here, and I so appreciate that. You know, I've been blessed. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be a part of seeing and knowing so many people coming to know who Christ is. Whatever that number is, that'll be determined. But we're not gonna get in the way. That'll be determined by Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, you know, If you have a hundred sheep and one goes astray, aren't you going to leave the 99? Mm, Let me think about that. Boy, i go after one? I mean, what these 99 are worth are awesome. But the problem is is it's what Jesus was saying to every one of us. Every one of us who know Jesus Christ has eternal salvation. We have our difficulties, we have our problems. We have each other. But there are those who will spend eternity weeping and gnashing teeth for eternity not my words so we get accused lots of times of saying oh 200 that's a big number look at in your notes the asterisks i just want you to know that every number is a soul every number is a soul people like to, you're a number you're counted you're a soul and it's how we measure are we reaching people for christ one of the several uh, informational things that we use. And so in 2020, I just want to talk to you. You know, how do you melt a church together of boomers and Generation X and millennials? They don't understand each other, let alone trying to love each other. How are we going to do that? And we are going to do that. And so I have in the bottom of your notes, the white flag is actually a signal for two things. Number one, you can fill it in. It's the flag of surrender. And the flag of surrender says to pastors and to congregations, you have to surrender some of the things you've had at this point for the greater good. You have to surrender. For Christians who want to keep things just the way they are now, this is the way it's always been, you have to surrender that. Because whenever a white flag is raised, there's surrender, but there is a victory. Somebody's won! Somebody's won! When the the white flag is raised, that's that's the the second thing there, the flag of victory for the lost person who finds Christ, for the new Christian who discovers their spiritual gift, for the marriage that was falling apart and found Jesus Christ. Fellowship, I want to ask Sandy and Marianne if they would come and grab this microphone up here uh, just so you can see and understand uh, some of the things that are are happening in our church. And you you know them all individually, but what is happening, if you could pop this on for me, uh, is different things where people are sitting and people are hearing and then they come to know and see and understand exactly what it is that Jesus is. So I asked them, take a couple minutes to tell their story. And your story may be different, but in the same sense, it's a part of fellowship. It's a part of the greatest thing the church has that the world can't compete against. Go ahead, Sandy. He was right about that. He gave us two minutes.
1: Um. <laughs> My name is Sandy, and um, I don't know what the music does for all of you, but I had a revival this week. Um, So because of that, I was able to sing hallelujah, and I because, yes, I will praise you in the rough times. Last week, anybody on the side of the church, you saw I was a blubbering idiot back here because I couldn't sing those words. But God worked a miracle through Marianne and her husband last Sunday. Um, So just to give you a little bit of background, um, my husband, Gary, who's sitting up here in front, is facing kidney transplant and dialysis, hopefully this year. And it's just been a really rough time with that because I don't know anybody that's ever gone through this. So last week, Pastor Evan starts talking about how important the family of, in the church is because there's somebody out there that's gone, what you're, gone through what you've gone through. Now, you have to know that I used to work for Pastor Evan. I'm not going to tell you how long ago because you'll do the math and see how old I am. Um, But in that time, we have developed a relationship where he is an annoying little brother to me. And I'm sitting down here in the front row, and when he says that, I wanted to run up here and wring his neck, seriously, because no one in this church has gone through what I've gone through. But you see what happens is we all develop, through fellowship, as Pastor Evan talked, we develop this little group of believers. And then each one of those people in our group have another little group of believers. Before service last week, I asked two of my friends to pray for me because I was having such a hard time. And then all this happened, you know, where he said all that. And then um, I went to leave. I seriously had one hand on the door, and I was talking to one of those friends that had prayed for me, and the other one came running up to me in tears because someone had talked to her at the sign-up table who his wife gave him his, her kidney. Twenty years ago, I now have a new BFF in Marianne and her husband sitting back there. And because of the fellowship that develops, we get these connections. It doesn't just happen. It, we have to work at that. You know, it's really important. We can, fellowship doesn't happen if we come in after the music's already started. Or, and I'm guilty of this too. I pack up and take off right away. That fellowship—we have to stay here and develop those relationships. And because of that, we now have a coach that's going to help us through this next year. We're going for lunch today. I had spoke to these people before church. I had greeted them and said hello. Today we're going to church, so I'm just going to give it to Marianne.
2: Hi, I'm Marianne. My husband Tony back there, and uh, we went through the kidney transplant. Uh, process about 24 years ago now. Praise God, everything's working good. But even when we went through it, talking about the importance of the family of God, that we need each other. And we're new to the church here, and what we're basically doing, trying to get to know everybody, and we're forgetting names and stuff. But we're we're trying to get to know everybody. And I finally met your lovely wife, and we were talking, and the similarities. She's a nurse. I'm a retired nurse. Yeah. And just talking about just talking, and I mentioned I said, uh, well, I gave my husband a kidney, and we were talking about surgeries and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, up comes. Sandy and her friend, and she's in tears. And I guess she heard me say that, and I did. And she went back and told her, She says, There is somebody in the church that's been through what you've been through. And that's the thing God puts us in places. And if my husband and I ever wondered why he led us to this church, um, there's plenty of reasons, but that's just one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we are to be a blessing to one another. We're to help one another. We're to uplift one another, encourage one another, and so I'm hoping that through this journey that Sandy and her husband are going to go through, that somehow my husband and I can do just that for them. Thank you. Thank
1: you. I do want to say I love him like a brother.
0: <laughs> What's well, not to love? You know, it's just- and so my question to you as we get ready to close uh, today is, don't you want the people that you know? Well, oh, she still works for me. She's picking up the stuff down here. Don't you have people, they don't have a clue. They think nobody's going through, you know, nobody knows. Nobody knows my marriage. Nobody knows my problems, whatever it might be. And the moral of the story is, number one, Sandy, I'm always Right? Number two, I like when Tony says, you know, my wife saved my life because she gave him a kidney. And don't you just know the fact that, doesn't that just tag right on the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life so that we could see people that we know and love transform? Jesus, as we close out our service today, number one thing that we want to keep in the focus in the front of everybody is Psalm 121. The call was, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, that, that's what we proclaim today. We're here. We're your hands, your feet. But we want to point everybody we know. We want our vision to be Jesus. We look to the hills. We look to where it is. Where does our help come from? Sure, it'll come from other people. That's at the other. But ultimately, our help comes from lo- Who do we turn people towards? Jesus, the one who saved us. The 99, we all have each other. The one that's out there, we want to make sure we have a church that has a heartbeat that's beating and winning the cultural war so we can live and and so we can save them with God's help. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.